0: I actually heard about a guy one time that was coming out of church and he uh, met the pastor on the way out and the pastor grabbed his hand and shook his hand and said, hey, it's good to see you. Uh, Have you ever thought about joining the army of the Lord? And this guy looked at the pastor and said, well, you know, pastor, I'm already in the army of the Lord. He says, well, why is it then that I only see you Easter and Christmas? And the guy says, well, he says, I'm in the Secret Service. (laughs) So whether you come normally to the 915 service or 1045 service or you're part of the Secret Service, we are glad that you're here today to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. I want to ask you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to Luke Chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. One of the most tender scenes in the life of our Lord. In fact, only recorded here in Luke 7, starting verse 36. Most of us are pretty good at hiding our mistakes, hiding our flaws, particularly us men. We are a competitive lot, and we think that if we show any kind of uh, weakness, or whatnot, uh, people won't like us. It's true for women, too, but uh, we men are particularly like that. Uh, My wife, you could ask her, uh, she knows none of my flaws. (laughs) Well, you know, this is baloney. There are times that you can hide them. There are times that you cannot. Family, very often you cannot. They come out, and uh, they usually come out there more than any other place because we know we can get away with it. But how do you feel when you're in a circumstance and everybody knows what you've done wrong? Family knows it for sure, but what about in a more public sense? What about when you've made some mistakes in your life that are so big, that are so bad, that you can't even hide it inside the confines of your family? And pretty much everybody that knows you knows it. That's tough. This is the kind of circumstance that we find happening In this scene in the life of Jesus, as this woman, everybody knows what she's done wrong, comes into the presence of our Lord. How will he respond to her? Look with me at Luke 7, starting in verse 36. We're told, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he uh, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. One of these Pharisees asks Jesus to dinner. Pharisees uh, were a group of leaders, a group of leaders in Israel during this time, kind of the upper echelon, they were the ones in charge the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and this Pharisee asked Jesus to come over to his house and to have a meal. And Jesus accepts, and we're told that they reclined at the table. Uh, We don't generally do that, do we, when we eat? We generally sit, obviously, at our table. Every culture is different. If you go to Chicago, their culture is different, particularly in the airport. There's no places to sit. I went there one time, and there was no place to sit. You have to stand up to eat. Uh, In the Middle East, you lay down to eat. And this is what was happening here in Jesus' time. You, you, in that culture, you would gather around a table. It was a little table probably about maybe a foot high off the ground. It was kind of in a horseshoe shape. And uh, you would lay on your left elbow and eat with your right hand, and your feet would kind of hang behind you. So you're laying down eating. And this is the position here that Jesus is in as this woman comes in. Now, how did this lady get into this guy's house, this Pharisee's house, especially this woman who is called a sinner? Well, during that day, especially when it was when you had a guest speaker or a guest um, uh, teacher, you might say, come in, when you had a guest that was of some notoriety, you would kind of open the house up, kind of an open house, and you would let people come in and kind of line the walls and observe the conversation that was being uh, had there. And this is what happened. Uh, Pharisee and Jesus were there and all those were at the table and evidently there were a wall of people surrounding them listening to their conversation and one of the people in this crowd was a woman. Now we're told here that she is a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now everybody's a sinner. So this is something special. This is not uh, just a plain old everyday sin. This is a sin that's gotten out of the private and into the public life. And so she has the reputation of a sinner. We're not told what her name is. We're not told what her sin is. Just that a woman who was a sinner came in and she brought a vial of perfume. Someone once said that you don't know what her name is, we'll plug in your name. You don't know what her sin is, we'll plug in your sin. And with that, we're able to continue with the story. Verse 38, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and kept wiping them with the hair of her head, and kissing his feet, and anointing them with the perfume. Notice how Luke writes this. She is standing, weeping, Wetting, wiping, kissing, anointing. Initially, she comes in, and remember how Jesus is laying, how he's eating, he's on his left elbow, eating with his right hand, and his legs are off this way. And she comes and she stands behind his feet, or beside his feet. She's just standing there. And she's crying so hard that Jesus' feet are getting wet. And she sees that Jesus' feet are getting wet, she gets down and she takes her hair down, and begins to wipe, clean his feet. And for a woman in that day and age to let her hair down in public was not something that you did. That was considered, you know, inappropriate. So this lady is majorly humbling herself in front of all these people who already think she's trash. And she is doing this to clean the, the water off. She's, she knows she's dripped tears, she wants to wipe the tears off. And the text is written in such a way that says that she continued to do this. In fact, even in verse 38, we're told that she kept wiping uh, with the hair of her head. And it doesn't say it in the English, but the implication in the original is that she continued kissing and that she continued anointing Jesus' feet as well. And Jesus, uh, at least there's nothing recorded here, doesn't say anything. He just lets her do it. And with the text implying that she's continuing to do it, Jesus says nothing. And so this kind of raises the eyebrows of those who are around, obviously. You've got a woman, first of all, who comes in who has a a bad reputation. In fact, Luke stresses it when he says, Behold, there was a woman in the city. It's like, look, she's here. Of all people, look, she's here. And now look what she's doing. She comes up to Jesus. What's she going to do? She's crying. Now she lets her hair down. (gasps) Look, she's letting her hair down. Now she kisses, look, she kisses his feet. Look, she's kisses his feet. Why is he letting her do this? Jesus says nothing to stop her. And so look at the response of the Pharisee who invited Jesus. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him that she is a sinner. The Pharisee doesn't say it out loud, but in his heart, in his mind, he says, this guy is a fake. If this guy were the prophet that he says he is, first of all, he'd know what kind of woman this is. Second of all, uh, if he knew what kind of woman this is, he wouldn't let her touch him. And uh, finally, he decides he's no prophet at all. He's got Jesus all figured out. He's not a prophet. If he was a prophet, he wouldn't be letting her do what he's doing. Now, I want you to picture the scene here for a second and to realize that not a word has been spoken up to this point. It's all been silent. Well, of course, the woman sobbing has been heard. Probably the gasps and the reaction of the audience around have been heard as this woman does what she's doing. Nothing's been said, but the tension is mounting this guy is letting her do this. And this Pharisee thinks in his mind, ah, he's a fake. If he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. And now look, Jesus is the first one who speaks. And look at what he says in verse 40. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, now we know the name of the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. What do you notice unusual about this uh, verse? What does it say that Jesus did? He answered. Who do you answer? Nobody said anything up to this point. But Simon was thinking, wasn't he? If this guy was a prophet, he would know. Jesus knows because he answered Simon's thoughts. And he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And very kindly, Simon says, uh, Say it, teacher. And so he tells him a story. This is his answer. Remember, he is answering. He is replying to Simon's thoughts. And so Jesus replies, he answers, and he tells a story. This is the first thing that's been said. He tells a story. And this is the story he tells, verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. Jesus, in his story, describes a couple of different people. Two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. A denarius was a day's wages. And so 500 of them would be about a year and a half salary, if you want to put it in today's terms. So think about whatever it is uh, you make, a year and a half. That's how much this guy owed. The other guy owed 50. Uh, What? that's about a month and a half. So one guy, a year and a half, one guy, a month and a half. Neither one could pay. It's a fitting story for April 15th, isn't it? But here's where the illustration breaks down. When they were unable to pay, he graciously forgave them both. But notice the detail. Both were unable to repay. The man forgave them both. Why? Grace. He graciously forgave. And so Jesus' response is then, which one of them is going to love him more? How are they going to respond to this gracious guy's actions? And Simon answers in almost a, you know, with the kind of an attitude that you feel like, well, you know, I know the answer, but I don't really want to admit it. He says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. It's interesting in the original language that the word that he uses here for suppose means to regard something as presumably true but without particular certainty. Simon is giving the impression he doesn't really know, but like he's guessing. He says, well, I guess or I suppose the guy whom he owed more. But notice how Jesus responded to him. He said, you have judged correctly. He didn't say you've said correctly, you've answered correctly. He didn't even say you've supposed correctly. But he says you've judged correctly. When you judge something, you have made up your mind. In other words, he says, you know it this guy is going to love him more. The guy who was forgiven the bigger debt, the year and a half, he's going to love him more than the guy who just was forgiven a month and a half. The guy who has more owed is going to be more appreciative, naturally. And that's the whole point of Jesus' story. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out this parable who Jesus is talking about. The moneylender's God, the one who owed a year and a half is this woman, the one who owed a month and a half is Simon. And Jesus is essentially saying, Simon, I know what you're thinking, because I answered your thoughts, but I know what you're thinking too about this woman. You think that you are ten times better than her, because that's the debt, that's the illustration in the debt. And so Jesus, knowing this about Simon, starts now to set the record straight. You think you're ten times better. He says, you've judged correctly. And incidentally, when he says you've judged correctly, he says, basically, Simon, you've judged yourself. And he illustrates that. Look at verse 44. And turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. He says to Simon, Do you see this woman? What a question! I mean, everybody saw the woman. Luke himself says, Behold. I mean, look. Everybody sees her. What's she doing here? But he says, Simon, I want you to look at this woman. Because I'm in about, I, I want to make a comparison. In your mind, you think you're ten times better than her. Well, let's talk about that. Jesus says, When I came in, you gave no water for my feet. Well, in our culture, that didn't mean a lot because we don't really keep dirty feet. I mean, sometimes, I can remember Jerry Bradshaw tracking dirt on my carpet one day, but that's about it. <laughs> I don't think Jerry is here. I think he was here first, down. <laughs> but that's about it. It's not a big deal to us. We, we, we wear shoes and socks. We walk on concrete most of the time. Don't get dirty feet. But in the Middle East, in Jesus' time, they wore sandals and walked in the dirt. In fact, I remember when I went to Israel, every single day I had to clean my shoes. They were filthy, walking on that terrain. And so it was cordial that when you came in, you would provide uh, somebody to either wash the feet of the person that comes in. This is so the guy doesn't track dirt in your house, for one thing. And also, it's polite. You would either provide someone to wash the feet for him, or you provide water so they can wash their own feet. This didn't happen to Jesus. It would be like us coming in today, and you know, it's cordial when you come to somebody's house in the winter to have the host take your coat, right? But this would be like you come in, and he says, No, just keep your coat on. Just keep your coat on. You can sit right over here. Well, that's not very polite. But that's the equivalent of what's happening here. He says, uh, you, you didn't give me a kiss. Well, again, that's not our culture. We come into somebody's house, and we don't kiss. Especially guys, we're too tough to do that, right? But in this culture, in fact, if you go to the East today, you watch CNN and you watch these, these Eastern guys when they greet each other, they'll give you know, the kiss on one side and the kiss on the other side. It's cordial. For us, it's like a handshake. Imagine coming up to somebody and saying, Hi, how you doing? And they won't shake your hand. How does that make you feel? Kind of bad. And that's what happened here. And then finally, this is a little bit going above and beyond, but he says, you didn't anoint my head with oil. To an honored guest, you would do this. You would anoint their head with oil. And it was was a great honor in that culture to do that. But none of these things Simon did. From the basic foot washing to the honoring of the oil on the head, Simon did nothing. But then he says, but all of these things she has done, and even more. What you didn't do to my feet or my face or my head, she did it all to my feet. That's humility. In fact, when it talked about all the things that she did, if you want to glance back, just look back quickly at verse 38, you see, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears, kept wiping them, meaning feet, with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Everything this lady did was at Jesus' feet. Humility. Simon, on the other hand, wouldn't even, give, wouldn't even take Jesus' coat, wouldn't even shake Jesus' hand, as it were. And Jesus says, she's gone above and beyond. And the last thing that Jesus says to this Pharisee, Simon, is in verse 47 he says for this reason I say to you her sins remember we're still making a comparison here For this reason I say to you her sins which are many have been forgiven for she loved much but he who is forgiven little loves little you see the pattern that Jesus began you did not but she did you did not but she did You did not, but she did three times, Jesus says that. And then Jesus says, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Jesus isn't saying that her sins are forgiven because she loved much. He isn't saying that because she's done all this at my feet, so her sins are forgiven. But it's rather because her sins are forgiven, she loved much because even Jesus says himself, uh, when when he contrasts it, he says, but he who is forgiven little loves little. See, Jesus puts forgiveness first. And even in the parable that he gave, remember he says they couldn't repay, he graciously forgave them both, now who's going to love more? See, the forgiveness of the debt comes first, both times as Jesus illustrated it. So don't get the cart before the horse here and make it look like Jesus is saying okay because she's done all this I'll forgive her sins, you didn't take my coat, you can go to hell. That's not what he's saying. It's like it's saying it's been raining for the ground is wet. Well it didn't rain because the ground is wet. The ground is wet because it rained. Wisconsin State Journal recently surveyed some vice presidents and personnel directors as they were uh, interviewing for some of their positions in their corporations. And uh, they were asked to give some of the most unusual things that had happened during these interviews as they are interviewing potential employees. And here's a couple of things that happened. One of these guys, one of these applicants, challenged the interviewer to an arm wrestle. (laughs) Another one said he had never finished his high school education because he'd been kidnapped and kept in a closet in Mexico. Another one who was balding, excused himself, and then came back wearing a full hairpiece. Maybe the guy didn't notice the first time or something. Another one who wore earphones to the interview and when asked to remove them, she explained that she could listen to the interviewer and the music at the same time. Another one interrupted the questioning to phone her therapist for advice. Another one dozed off during the interview. I can relate to that. easy. Another one muttered, would it be a problem if I'm angry most of the time? <laughs> now these people, incidentally, who probably didn't get the job, these people sound pretty incompetent, don't they? I mean, these, these vice presidents, personnel directors, unless they're really hurting, they're probably not going to hire these folks. Well, imagine, it's not a stretch then to say this is the same sort of incompetence that we bring to God when we sit before him like Simon sat before Jesus, thinking, I've got it all together, and I'm ten times better than this woman over here. That we think for some reason, because we grew up in religious circles, or we think for some reason because we live a good life, that we're going to be able, when we die, to stand in front of God and go, you know what? Yeah, I don't have a high school education, but it's because I was locked in a closet in Mexico. <laughs> what do you think God's going to do? You can say, oh, Gosh, well, come on in. No. We can't stand before God and say, Look, I've got all the good deeds right here. Yeah, I've got a few bad, but I've got all these good deeds right here. What did Jesus' parable say about debt? He related the debt to sin. This woman had a year and a half's worth of sin debt. This Simon only had a month and a half. But what was the point? Neither of them could repay And so, how is it forgiven? By the grace of the moneylender. And no other way. See, remember Simon's thoughts were that if Jesus were a prophet, he would know this woman is a sinner. Jesus shows that he knows she's a sinner by saying her sins are many. Nobody told Jesus that. But Jesus knew it. And it's a wonderful little... uh, literary deal that goes on here. If you look in verse he says, for this reason I say to you her sins. Talks about her sins. Look back in verse 40. Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. That's the only two times that Jesus has said that. First time he says, I want to say something to you. Second time he says, now here I am, I'm saying something to you. And in between he has that little story. What is Jesus responding to? The first time he says, I want to say something to you. He was responding to Simon thinking, this guy ain't a prophet. If he, knew, if he was a prophet, he would know she's a sinner. When he brings it up again, what does he say? I know she's a sinner. Her sins are many. And incidentally, her sins are forgiven. Simon thought he had God all figured out. thought he had Jesus all figured out, but he couldn't have been more wrong. Look at this cartoon I saw. Herman recently, this guy says, if you miss a payment, I press this button and the unit self destructs. Now, how many of us, having acquired salvation, view God as the guy behind the counter? If you blow it, if you miss a payment, all I've got to do is press this button and you're toast. The salvation that you worked so hard to get, I'm taking it back. You'd be amazed at how many people truly believe this. That there is some way that they're going to be able to impress God with the good deeds and the good life that they've lived in order to get into heaven. My friend, whether you owe a month and a half, whether you owe a year and a half, whether you owe a lifetime and a half worth of sin, you can't repay it. Sin is sin in the sight of God. I heard a, uh, an interesting statistic that from outer space, you look at the earth and it looks smoother than a cue ball that you would hold in your hand. That's pretty smooth. Have you ever held a cue ball in your hand? Pretty smooth. But from outer space, proportionally, the surface of the earth is smoother than a cue ball. Now from down here on the planet, we look at Mount Everest, and we look at Galveston and we think, you know, oh, there's quite a difference there. Pretty big difference there. But from outer space, no difference at all. Is there a difference? Yeah. But from outer space, it really doesn't matter. Is there a difference between your sin and mine? Um, maybe. I'm probably a lot worse than you are. But you know what? From God's perspective, even though I owe a year and a half and maybe you only a month and a half, neither of us can repay See, we've only got to blow it once in this life, and all of us have blown it many times, to be kept from heaven. And so how do we get there? Mark Twain once said, Heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. (laughs) You see, the more you realize your sin, the more you appreciate God's grace just a fact. The more you realize your sin, the more you appreciate God's grace. you got a low view of your sin, you got a low view of God's grace. you got a big view of your sin, boy, phew, I've really blown it. you got a big view of God's grace because God's grace is so much bigger than your sin. Grace is favor that you don't earn Notice that it doesn't say, and this isn't scripture, but this is a great principle from scripture. Notice it doesn't say that the more you sin, the more you appreciate God's grace. But the more you realize your sin. Because you realize that God's grace is bigger than every single thing that you've done wrong. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, April 3rd, A.D. 33, he took all your sins on the cross. Now, do you really fathom that? All your sins, even the ones that you don't tell anybody about, even the ones that you did this morning, even the ones that you did back in 1972 when your life totally took a nosedive, even those, all of your sins. He took on himself on the cross. The sins that you know about, the sins that you don't know about. The sins that are private, the sins that are public. The sins that are big, the sins that are small. The sins that are past, the sins that are future. All of the sins in your life, he took on himself. Why? Because you have a debt that you can't pay. And I've got a debt that I can't pay. So Jesus Christ died to pay that debt. And rose again that first Easter to show that the debt has been paid, and that God the Father is satisfied with Jesus' death on our behalf. And we're told that any that, all of us, any that all of us have to do is place our faith in Jesus Christ, that is, transfer our trust from ourself, our good works, to Jesus Christ, and the good work that he did when he died for us. That is grace. Amazing grace. Lewis Smedes said, why do we call grace amazing? Grace is amazing because it works against the grain of common sense. Hard-nosed common sense will tell you that you are too wrong to meet the standards of a holy God. Pardoning grace tells you that it's alright in spite of so much in you that is wrong. Back in February, U2's lead singer Bono gave an interview with Anthony De Curtis made an interesting statement, perhaps you've heard it. Bono said, the most powerful idea that's entered into the world in the last few thousand years, the idea of grace, is the reason I would like to be a Christian. Though, as I said to our guitarist, The Edge, one day, I sometimes feel more like a fan rather than actually in the band. I can't live up to it. But the reason I would like to is the idea of grace. It is really powerful. That's the kind of guy you'd like to get off in a corner by yourself and just say, look, man, forget the public. Forget the fact that this is being printed. Tell me what you really think about the fact that you're going to stand before God one day and have to give account for your sin. Because what he says is right on the money. It'd be fantastic if this guy really believes it. It'd be fantastic. Because what he says is is profound. He says, I can't live up to it. But he says, the reason I would like to is the idea of grace. Because it is powerful. It is powerful. There is nothing more powerful than grace. Law can motivate you, it can scare you, but it scares you from pain. Grace motivates you from gratitude. And that is far more powerful and far more lasting. To do something because you love him, not because you're scared that he's going to send you to hell. And the more you realize your sin, the more you appreciate God's grace. This is true. But let's take that a step further and look at the scene here with this woman. Because the more you appreciate God's grace, the more love you show to God. Which is exactly what Jesus says when he says, He who is forgiven little, loves little. She loved much. In other words, she's been forgiven much. In your life, as one, perhaps, who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there is not a way that you express your love and your appreciation for the Lord Jesus Christ in a verbal or in a physical, real, practical way. Then I want to challenge you to look at this woman closely. Like Jesus said, do you see this woman? And says, Simon, do you see this woman? Look at what she's done not to get forgiveness, but because she has forgiveness, look at what she's done, and look at what you've done. And now, tell me, who loves me more? Love is demonstrated in what you do. It is not just words, it is not just thoughts, it is not just singing songs. It is doing for the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't get me wrong, it's not to earn salvation, but rather because you already have it. Maybe you're one here this morning who is like this woman who absolutely needs the forgiveness that Jesus provides. Look at what he tells her in verse 48 and 49. He said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? It's a good question. Who is this man who even forgives sins? And what they're saying is, first of all, who is this guy who receives sinners? And secondly, who is this guy who forgives sins of these sinners? Answer? He's the guy that forgives sins of sinners. That's who he is. And how does he do it? Verse 50, the last verse. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Not the fact that you cried on my feet. Not the fact that you wiped my feet. Not the fact that you kissed my feet. Not the fact that you anointed my feet. Your faith has saved you. And the word saved is a beautiful word in the original language. It focuses on the fact that it is something accomplished, it is done, and it has continuing, lasting results. Any of you who ever struggle with with doubting your salvation, wondering if, yeah, I know I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ, but doggone it, I am such a sinner. Everybody tells me I'm a sinner. My friend tells me I'm a sinner. My spouse tells me I'm a sinner. Everybody at work tells me I'm a sinner. They may not say, you're a sinner, but in essence they basically say, hey, you're trash. Or hey, you blow it. You're not good enough. And so you doubt the free grace that God gives you in your salvation. You need to take a good hard look at this woman and what Jesus says to her. Because he tells her four times that her relationship with God is secure. First of all, he tells Simon her sins are forgiven. She heard that. Then he turns to her and says, your sins have been forgiven. She heard that. Then he says, uh, your faith has saved you. And then he says, go in peace. Four times he emphasizes the exact same thing. Your faith has saved you. Not the acts you just did, but your faith. Are you like this woman? Has your life been one absolutely bad mistake one after another? So bad that everybody knows it? Hmm? You need to do what this woman did. You need to come and humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ and pour yourself out to Him in gratitude because he has died for your sins. And forgiveness is available to, yes, even you, if you will place your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you're like Simon. You say, oh, I'm not like Simon. I'm like the woman. Well, okay. What if, what if there was a homosexual that were to walk in here right now and you knew they were? What if there was a person who was a sexual offender that were to walk in here right now and you knew that they were? What if there was somebody who has had multiple abortions and they came in right now and you knew who they were and you knew that about them and they came and they sat down right beside you? How would you feel? Now who do you identify with? See, it's so easy to to say the right thing say, oh, I identify with that humble woman until you realize we're in church. It's so much more easier to identify with Simon, to sit there and look at all the sinners and to say, boy, I'm ten times better than them. Jesus says, look at this woman. What are you doing? Look at what she's doing. That makes the difference. Humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ, who has died on the cross for all your sins, and then Look at your life. How great is your love? How great is your love for God? Easy answer, what are you doing? What are you doing for the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for the great opportunity to be together on Easter to celebrate the resurrection and to look at a text that looks at the application of the resurrection. Because if indeed Jesus has been raised, and He has, then we have the great obligation to live a life that is worthy of the calling we've received and to love. I thank you for the person here today, perhaps here for the first time ever, who has the great privilege to look into your grace and to see that all of the filth and sin in their life which they have tried but cannot remove can be removed in a moment by faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray for your Holy Spirit to move in their heart that they would release and let go of that which they're clinging to and instead accept the free forgiveness that is theirs for the asking and I pray for the Simons like me here among us so easy to sit smug and think we've got it all together when Lord in fact we are the ones who need to be chastised help us not to determine our love by the words we say or by what we wear or how we look but instead by what we're doing the extent of our forgiveness to be the extent of our actions. So to that end, Lord, we dismiss and thank you for the great privilege to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you. Hi, this is Wayne Stiles. You can receive a weekly devotional by email by subscribing to my blog at waynestyles.com there you'll also find resources for devotional and bible land study as well as a way for us to connect via facebook and twitter there's even an opportunity to support this weekly podcast with a donation that's waynestyles.com thanks for listening